Hi everyone here at Don Vandermark. Uh, welcome to uh, Friday Night Stripes. Uh, today with me, I've got Rick Hartzell and Dave Simon on with me. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Great to be here. So uh, Rick uh, wrote a book called Whistle in a Haystack, uh, an Iowa farm boy's view on life's lessons, leadership, and college basketball. And Dave, you were the, uh, the collaborative editor on that correct that is correct all right so so rick uh before we get into the book tell me a little bit about um about your officiating journey how how you got started um and what you're doing currently well it's an interesting story at least to me i mean i i was coaching at co college a little place in cedar rapids iowa and uh i was watching these guys referee these games our basketball team was playing. I had nothing to do with basketball. I was coaching baseball and football at the time. And I thought, you know, I, th I wonder if I could do that. I think maybe I could do that. And it, and, and w there was a couple guys that had a little flair and a little personality. And I thought, you know what, it looks like they're having fun. And so I called the local um, high school association, a gentleman there named Harold Primrose, Pinky Primrose was his name. And he said, we've got a meeting here in a couple days. Come out and we'll we'll talk. And so I did, and um, they gave me a rule book and said, we're going to put you in some junior high games and in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and that's really how it started. So, uh, you know, I'd never really thought much about officiating un until then, and I liked it. I, I liked working the games, and then as it would happen in Iowa, we had one of those winters that it snowed every day, and all these high school games were canceled and rescheduled, and when they do that, even then, they didn't have enough referees. So I got a call every day to go work a high school varsity game, you know, and I'd been working games for three weeks. So <laughs> I went I went and worked them with some good partners that taught me how to do it a little bit, and um, I just started going that way. And uh, I always, I've always uh, had kind of a quiet confidence about myself. So after a couple years, I went to the guy that ran the Iowa Conference, which is a Division three conference in Iowa, and I said, I want to work men's basketball in your league. And he said, what are you talking? He said, you haven't, you've only w worked a couple of years. And I said, I know, but I think I'm pretty good. And, you know, I've got good, good guys I know and uh, good partners. And uh, he said, well, I'll get back to you. So I didn't figure I'd hear anything. And about a month later, he called and said, I'm going to put you on the staff. So that's how it started for me. And um, I was, you know, very fortunate all the way through my career to get a break uh, kind of every time I needed it. And, uh, I was able to take off with it, and uh, I am retired from officiating. I worked 4,000 games, and uh, over wow. all those 30, 35, or 38 years, and uh, my right knee decided that it had had enough, and uh, I finished last year uh, in the Mountain West in the Pac-12 and decided that I would get out before people um, had to tell me that I should get out, and I got my knee fixed, and at the moment, I'm the director of athletics at Upper Iowa University in Fayette, Iowa, Division Two place, and uh, having some fun with that. Well, great, great, and and Dave, what's your what's your officiating journey? Well, the short one is 18 years, uh, 12 of them doing small college basketball, strictly basketball. I started on the East Coast in Washington D.C. My last five years were in Nebraska, and then from there, uh, my job took me into a position where I couldn't uh, continue to have a schedule out there, and. I re-entered the journey a few years ago, actually probably five, 
six, seven years ago, starting to mentor uh, two young men in their, their late 20s at the time and giving them feedback and sitting down with them and seeing how they were doing and giving them some advice and support. And uh, So I've been mentoring in that way. And most recently in Wisconsin, I am with the Wisconsin Basketball Officials Association here. I'm actually providing written and verbal feedback to high school officials, literally go to the game, write them up, um, very supportive and oriented to helping officials improve and targeting areas where they can get better and um, actually give them also good feedback in terms of being helpful and supportive of how they're doing on the court. Sure. Okay, great. Great. And uh, so, so let's, let's turn to the book if we can. So Rick, how did, how did the two of you come up with the idea for the book? Um, and and how did you two end up meeting? Well, it's interesting how it happened. Um, I, I've had this idea for a book for 30 years, and I've been saving all sorts of stuff. And I didn't know what it was going to be, but I had saved a bunch of things. Um, I'd written down some ideas. I'd had some thoughts about, and I really couldn't get it going myself. So um, Dave and I had known each other from the time uh, – a few years ago when he did an article on me for uh, Referee Magazine, and uh, we connected over the phone and we started talking uh, about, you know, what he was doing, what I was doing, and so this idea of a book came up, and he said, well, that's interesting because I would be interested in trying to help you, and I said, that'd be great because I need the help, um, and that's that's really how it got started, and I, it would this book would have never gotten done without Dave. Um, you know, I'm proud to say that I wrote uh, all of it, every word of it, I think. But without him and the way we did it, uh, and, and the way we did it was um, we'd just talk. We'd get on the phone and talk for 45 minutes or an hour, and then he would send me some notes back, and then we would talk again about potential uh, names of chapters, and we'd just start talking about um, enforce or, or enable, for example. And I would give him some ideas, and he'd write those down and send them back to me, and then I'd write a chapter off of those notes. So uh, I'm, I'm really indebted to Dave because it would have never gotten done. Uh, and if it would have, it wouldn't nearly have been this quality uh, because it would have been just me kind of trying to muck my way through it. But um, So that's that's how it happened. Well, well excellent, excellent. And um, what – what was what was your main goal in 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 the book? What were you what were the messages you were trying to deliver? I was trying to, quite honestly, uh, I'm a very simple guy. I was trying to write something that when my four kids take a look at it 30 years from now, they say, "Wow, you know, number one, Dad could think a little bit, and uh, <laughs> he did some things that were kind of interesting." And um, that that was really it. I, I just wanted to put something on paper that, um, you know, gave some credibility to the great fortune that I've had in life, both in officiating and, and professionally. Uh, I make the joke that um, I come from a little, little bitty town in north central Iowa, 550 people, where people, um, you know, didn't read books, much less write them. So for me to have done this is, is unique, I think. Uh, and then I thought as I got going that what happened when Dave and I started talking, which is really the greatest part of this whole thing, is that I started to remember a whole bunch of stuff 
that I hadn't remembered, you know, some stories and some events and some things that happened. And when we started putting all those together, um, the book got a little more interesting, I think. So, uh, you know, that, that, that was the reason for it. Um, I, I quite now I'd like to write another one um, because I really enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed the, the labor uh, of, of writing the book, and um, it, it, was, uh, it was a fun journey. Sure, sure. Well, that's, that's excellent. It was, it was a huge learning experience and growth experience. I was, I was touched repeatedly by Rick coming up with new ideas as we went along, where, where uh, he'd start talking about a story, it would lead to another story, it would lead to another lesson, and we kind of mapped out these lessons beforehand, and then we'd sit down and do the interviews that Rick mentioned where he would start thinking things through and then he would write things up. And it kept building from there. I would jog him a little bit with an idea, and then he'd go, boy, I've got something for that. I mean, he repeatedly had an immediate situation he could apply to it. It was funny or it was interesting or dynamic. I mean, there were just some great, great, great uh, sports officiating stories, not just basketball. I think for anyone who is into either sports or officiating or just life in general will appreciate uh, some of the stories he has in there and then what they mean to you beyond the basketball court. Sure, sure. So so that that, that leads right into the next question. What it, it the, it's a book about basketball. It's a book based on your uh, your experience in basketball officiating. Um, we're here on a football officiating podcast. So what what uh, what's your target market? And, and Dave said it can reach a lot of different things. So it, it how accessible is it to uh, other officials outside of basketball or or people who aren't even officials at all? Well, the people that have given me the greatest response to it are people that don't know anything about officiating and never put a whistle around their neck in their lives and um, you know I spoke to the uh, in the North Central Petroleum and Convenience Store distributors about three weeks ago in St. Paul Minnesota okay. and sold 70 books afterwards and most of it just because I'd, I'd done this public speaking and I, that's kind of what I do uh, other than my administrative job is I do public speaking and one of the ladies that I speak for from the uh, Iowa Speakers Bureau said boy it would really help if you had a book and I said well then I guess I'll write one so I you know wrote this book to try to help that speaking um, business and it and it has helped but um, I don't think that we had a real target market if I did it, it was um it was the people that are kind of my people you know midwestern down-to-earth, regular people. That's who I wrote the book for, other than my family, just to have some kind of life's lessons that I wish people would have talked to me about when I was, um, you know, younger, growing up, or even yesterday, for that matter. So, um, you know, I, I think I get the best response um, from those folks, and I've gotten a lot of testimonials and people that have written and just said, oh, I was touched by this or touched by that, and um, that, that was really the goal. So, um, you know, I, I didn't write it. In, in fact, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit embarrassed to think anybody that's ever officiated reads it because, um, you know, that they would might look at it a little differently than I did. And there was no ego involved in this book. It was just me trying to write some things that I thought were important to try to pass on um, to, to, to regular people that, that might help them just a little bit in their daily lives. Sure. And I think that's what that's what 
takes the book beyond basketball or even beyond sports officiating, what Rick just said there. The, the, whether you're a football official or any other type of official, you may not know the names in the book, and, and, but the names are really irrelevant because the stories are universal, and they resonate just beyond the court. The, when we stepped in, and, uh, and you know, Rick was doing the writing, but as I was going through it and seeing what was coming out of it and feedback that I've gotten as well as Rick has gotten uh, speaks to the universal nature of a lot that's in there, that, that the stories can speak to anyone. They're interesting, they're funny, they're poignant, uh, and, then, and then that's about life. It's, and officiating is about life. And we really, I think we also sought to capture uh, life lessons within it. It's obviously in the title of the book, but uh, that was something in, in my input and in my side of it I've found that there's a lot in officiating that goes beyond just what we do on the court or the field. Sure, sure. So, so let's let's talk about a, a couple just quick anecdotes or or, or, or experiences. So, uh, Rick, in, in basketball, you're right there on the court. Um, depending on the rotations, you end up right in front of the coaches from time to time. Uh, coaches want conversations all the time. It's a little different than in football where. If you're in the middle of the field, you don't interact with the coaches all that often. Um, so what, who, who was the toughest coach uh, you had to officiate in front of um, in your career? Well, there were a lot of guys, uh, a lot of guys that I would say would fall into that category, particularly as I was, you know, coming up through the ranks. It seemed like they were, they were all tough, you know, but sure. I, I enjoyed – as I got older and as I got more experienced, the part that I enjoyed the most was that, was that interaction and that man-to-man discussion and that, you know, conflict resolution or just just lending just lending an ear. You know, I, I, the toughest guys won't surprise you. Gene Cady, um, Bobby Knight, uh, Mike Shashevsky, uh, Jim Beheim. I mean, I, the, the list could go on, uh, on and on. But all those guys, what I enjoyed about those guys, and I could list 20 more, um, they raised your level. I mean, if sure. you weren't at the top of your game when you worked a Bobby Knight, Gene Cady, Indiana-Purdue game, you were going to have a long, long night. Uh, I mean, you, you, you had to be able to know when to communicate, know when to walk away. Uh, know when to tell them that was enough, know when to, uh, you know, get to the other side of the court so you didn't have to talk to them, wh- whatever it might be, and then know what words to say when you do have to talk. And, uh, so, and, and you know, that's the life's lesson part of it uh, for me is in the officiating business in those games, you've got to be able to get your point across in a very few words because you don't have a lot of time. Um, sure. You've got to do it in a way that everybody can understand, um, and then you've got to get it over with and move on. And, uh, uh, you know, I think there's a, there's a good lesson in, in life there. We're all measured by our ability to move on and go forward after um, bad things happen or good things happen, and in officiating it certainly is that way. Yeah, yeah. So, so to take it to the other end of the spectrum, um, working working in front of those and with those those tough coaches um i'm sure w- at, at 
there's an enjoyment to that. But there's also those that that are in uh, are, are entertainment in and of themselves. Um, who 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 comes to mind when when you think of fun ones to officiate with? Oh, I, I always like the guys the most that. Um, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, we're a man's man. In other words, you could walk over there and say whatever the situation required. What, you know, and I tried to be a guy that didn't curse because I didn't, I didn't think it was the play. But occasionally, you know, you have to say to somebody, look, this is how this situation is going to go, and maybe use some, some you know, flavorful, flavorful language in that interchange. Um, you know, Dean Smith, I worked a lot of games for Dean Smith, and he was a guy that never cursed, uh, never cursed to his kids, never cursed to officials, officials. So, you know, you had to choose your words carefully because if you said the wrong word, you'd get yourself in trouble. On the other hand, Gary Williams, who, who coached at that very same time, kind of the heyday of the ACC, you could say whatever you wanted to say. It didn't matter what the words were. Uh, and he got the message, and after the game, it was all over with. So, I enjoyed the guys, you know, Bob Huggins, one of my all-time favorite guys, because the words don't matter to him. You know, you can say whatever words you need to say, and he gets it. Um, so guys like that, I, I enjoyed that um, the most, where you could say what you needed to say without any uh, worry of repercussion. Um, and I don't and I don't mean that, that you just go over there and start cursing. That's not the point. But right, uh, right. occasionally in one of those discussions, a word might slip out, <laughs> and uh, it might be just the right word at the right time to either uh, mitigate the situation or to end it, one of the two. Sure, sure. So uh, it's, it, you, you've obviously had a, a long career in, in spanning uh, a, a huge amount of location as well. Um, uh, every fall, I get together with, with a group of friends of mine, and we go to different cities, and we go to the baseball venue, a college football venue, and, a, and an NFL venue. Um, so we get to see a lot of different stadiums, and there are a lot that come to mind that that are that are just great venues. You've you've been in a lot of gymnasiums. Um, what what was probably a couple of your favorite ones to be at, and what 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 makes them memorable? I always like going to Kansas. Um, the fans were knowledgeable. The building was always full. It was always really loud, and the games were always important to somebody. Sure. Uh, it it felt like. Um, you know, you can't, I, I couldn't uh, leave Duke out because I worked a, a lot of games there when it was uh, either unbearably hot or unbearably difficult or unbearably tense. Um, so, you know, those two places come to mind. I, you know, I, I worked um, virtually every place in America. I liked the pit in Albuquerque. was always one of my favorites. Uh, I, I loved the Louisiana Superdome uh, as one of the big places because you Got to ride to the court in a golf cart. I always thought that was kind of fun, um, you know. Uh, but there's a million great places, including some places that, uh, you know, uh, there's a little gym in Loretto, Pennsylvania, where St. Francis, Pennsylvania plays. And I always liked going there because it was small and intimate and the fans are on top of you. And uh, I, 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 liked, I liked the pressure of the games. I liked the... Uh, when you had to work really, really hard to get it just right. And sure. then, I, as Dave knows, and you probably do as well, there's a feeling at the end of those games when you know you've done it right, 
Oh, yeah. You've given both teams a chance, and you've had the calls right, and your partners are on the same page. Uh, I love that because it was a uh, you accomplished something in a really, really hard job. I mean, it's hard college basketball to to get it right all the time, and um, but, so there's a lot of places where that that became even more fun. Uh, but for the big places, I put Kansas, Indiana, Duke, North Carolina, always great. Uh, and Purdue, I have to put Purdue on that list. So it's a great environment where the fans are pretty pretty knowledgeable and uh, worry more about the game than they do about you. Well, excellent, excellent. So, what? Um, so we'll wrap up with with the anecdotes here. Uh, what is there? Is there a specific game that stands out as far as um, a, a story around it, or just was your all time favorite game, or anything like that? Oh, I had a there was I had a lot of all time favorite games. I guess I I worked one of the great NCAA tournament games in the Louisiana Superdome, Kentucky and Kansas. I worked Duke North Carolina eight or nine times, and there was a couple of classics in there. I worked a game at uh, Arizona, played Cincinnati one night. That if the game would have been in the NCAA tournament, they'd still be talking about it. Where a guy named Miles Simon made a seventy footer at the buzzer to win. Uh, but one of the best stories. Uh, a friend, good friend of mine, Steve Gordon, and I worked a game in Tallahassee, Florida one night, Georgia Tech, Florida State, double overtime, and it was one of those games that we just, we had it. You know, we had every play, and we were so good. Um, double overtime, I don't recall now who wins. We get in the car afterwards, and Steve said to me, turn on the radio. Let's let's listen to see what the announcers are, are saying. They're going to be saying great things. So we turned on the talk show uh, after the basketball game. We turned on the talk radio show, and the first question uh, was a caller, you know, called in from from somewhere in Florida, and he says, "Hey, who do you think the starting quarterback's going to be for the Seminoles this spring?" <laughs> and we and we looked at each other and laughed and said, "You know, we just worked one of the best basketball games of our lives, and the people on the radio are worried about who the quarterback is at Florida State coming up." So. You know, uh, the the games, the, the games, uh, they kind of run together. But um, uh, th- there's so many that that I could look back on and and just say, man, that was uh, that was great fun, great fun that night, and uh, we did the best we could, and and we got a winner, and and we're able to get out of there alive. Sure, sure. Well, excellent. So, um, Dave, uh, you you currently work at Referee Magazine, um, and and Rick Rick had mentioned that's how the two of you uh, came together. Uh, what's your current role at Referee Magazine? Um, I'm an editor. I do a lot of work on features. Uh, do So there's writing and editing going on. I also work with the National Association of Sports Officials, and we have an annual summit, and I run the speaker sessions for that. So um, we're always out looking for speakers on the national arena. Your audience might be interested in this just in terms of either subject matter or attending. We always are looking for new speakers and experience and people who've got new ideas on how to train officials, recruit officials, retain officials. There's a lot of issues facing the officiating community around the country in terms of bad behavior being directed at us and declining numbers, trying to keep the people we've got and trying to bring new people into the profession. So uh, I'm I'm integrally involved in that national portion of it at our summit and then on the writing side of it you know it's really just uh, finding finding stories all and uh, 
finding good material that's that talks about the officiating profession and people are interested in it. It might be data, it might be uh, just new mechanics that are coming on board, it might be someone who's got a unique story that no one's ever heard before, and and uh, we're always looking for those. We're always looking for new material. Sure, sure. So that's a. Uh... So that, that leads to the next question I had, and, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. So, so since you were the one who, who kind of drew Rick out in this, what, <laughs> uh, what it, it should referee, and, and I'll, I'll just, I'll just be silly with it. Um, okay. Should, should, should referee magazine have their own little like uh, book section where, where, where they, they promote books and, and promote people actually writing books. Um, is that something that, that you, you encourage um, that that people take their their officiating experiences and turn it into something, whether whether it's a book or an article, as you said, is that something you should encourage you that you encourage? We get submissions on a regular basis, and sure. we do we do a little bit of a story situation for them. We do not put a huge impetus on it. Uh, we do try to give people a little bit of coverage, let them know this book has been written, it's out there. Uh, and and give some visibility to it. The, the struggle can be uh, how do you determine the validity uh, of, of sure. the subject matter that someone's really going to be interested in it. And we, we've stayed away from those types of value judgments, um, but we certainly want to be there as a potential forum for people who are writing beyond their careers and, and have something to say and, and at least – get the awareness out there, this book's available. You know, Rick Hartzell has put together this book, Whistle in the Haystack, it's available on Amazon. Um, you know, here you go. So. Sure. Okay, well, excellent. So, so Rick, in, in the last chapter of your book, you, you talk about the benefits of people officiating a sport for, for at least one year. Um, what, where, where, what's the genesis of that idea? Do you think it's, it's, why do you think that's important? Well, I really, I think it was Dave's idea that we talk about that um, because, you know, we're talking about the awful behavior of most people, you know, uh, and, you know, it's, it's funny, Don, and, and you know this. My, I've got a 12-year-old son who's playing basketball now, and just this past Saturday, two days ago, I'm sitting in the gym, and, you know, he caught the ball in the post and kind of fumbled it, n never caught it, but fumbled it and turned it into the post, and the referee called traveling and what came out of my mouth was I, I said sir you can't travel unless you've caught it um, <laughs> and my wife sitting beside me you know put my her elbow in my ribs and says why don't you be quiet you know and, and I didn't I mean I didn't say it in a way that was uh, awful but I shouldn't have said it and and but but the point is um, you know everybody thinks they know how to do a few things in this world and one of them is it seems to be to be to officiate basketball and football and so uh, I, I just think once you once you step on that court and realize, or on the field in football, and realize how hard it is, it gives you a new appreciation for um, you know the talents and abilities of those men and women that are that are out there, uh, and it probably would make everybody a whole lot calmer, a whole lot more understanding, um, and and just like Dave said, I mean we're in a crisis here in this country. Uh, you know, so some of those people that go out there and try it might find out that they can do it, 
and make a few bucks and, and add to the uh, you know, enjoyment or the participation, at least, of the young men and women that are out there playing. So, um, you know, I just think, as it is a lot of times in life, if you walk a few steps in somebody else's shoes, um, you gain a quick appreciation for the talents and abilities that they have and how hard the job is that they're trying to do. And, um, you know, when Dave brought that up, I think we both agreed that it probably will never happen, but it would be a good suggestion <laughs> sure. that, that people yeah. consider at least. It's a that's a great anecdote Rick just gave. I, a one that's a wonderful story and it's so classic for anybody who is officiated and as a parent because you still go and watch your kids' games and you still get into it and you're like, oh, what's he doing? Why did he make that call? Why did he throw that flag? Why did he blow the whistle? And and you it is really hard to step out of that as an official and just watch the game and respect the people on the court, particularly if you're if you're good like Rick is. You know he's at an elite level. Um, he's done it. He knows what's right, and it's and these kids' games, which is where a lot of these problems are. Uh, you're 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 not getting you're getting beginning officials or younger officials sure. who are not well trained, and you have to understand that when you come to watch it. the The point on that last chapter was really to to get people, as Rick just mentioned, put your put put your feet in the shoes of someone else and and see what it's like. We need we need people. The lessons that that both he and I have learned on the court that we've applied in our lives, uh, I've, I've said multiple times in my life that I have learned more as a sports official than I have learned through my faith, through my through my education, through college, through my marriage to my wife, through the lessons my parents gave me. I've learned more as a sports official from handling angry people to being able to make decisive. Um, decisions instantaneously with a high degree of accuracy to make mistakes and come back and be willing to learn from it and get better. Phenomenal lessons in in being a sports official. And if people would try it, you know, maybe they'd drop it after a year, but you know, maybe maybe they'd stay with it, and maybe that would make a difference. Sure, sure. So, um, yeah, I, I know when I first started uh, five years ago, it it was so eye opening. Um, to, to get on a football field and realize all of a sudden that there are 22 players out here and there's no way all five officials or eight in the NFL and college can see everything. They, they should see a lot of things, but and you, you gain a greater appreciation for angles. That, that was the first lesson was I've got, a, I've got a much better appreciation for I didn't have the angle on it or or – I've got a body between me and the ball, so I can't I can't really make a call on that. Um, so so it's so it's so true that being in the footsteps, be wearing the the stripes helps gives you a, a perspective. That said, there was uh, I, I I'm I'm an Orlando City season ticket holder, and I go out there and at least once a game I'll throw my hands up at some non call or call by by the official. Um, even though I know they're they're the best that that there is to offer within within the country, so um, they're making the best call they can using the information they have in front of them. And yeah. I, we don't always have to agree with them. We don't always have to think they're necessarily right, um, but they're the ones in the position to make that call, just as we are. Um, Don, so one of the things, Don, one of the things I focused on later in my career, and I tell young officials this all the time is that, you know, they'll say, what's the, you know, how do you make it? What's the key? What's the, I said, this is the key. 
I can give you the secret. Blow the whistle when you know you're right. Not when you think you're right. Not when you've been right most of the time when you've seen that play. But when you know you're right. If you can do that, you know, and that means then just what you said. you got to get a good angle. you got to get a good look. You've got to put yourself in the right position. And you've got to react properly to blow the whistle when you know you're right. And as all three of us know, you can't always do that. But that's the goal, you know, is right. not not to guess, to, to know you're right. And uh, if you can do that, you can get your call accuracy up at 95 or 96 percent. Um, somebody's going to give you a job. Yeah, and that that is a great restatement of of the of the old axiom to to call what you see. Um, and don't call what you don't see that 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 that's a great way to restate that because when you're teaching your officials you always want to present the same information in, in different ways so that that statement of blow the whistle when you know you're right is a great way to restate that and you so. hey don you uh you also have the title for your book just as just as a two cents here <laughs> angles the title of your book and write about what you see and talk about angles and the importance, and then apply that to life and the importance of <laughs> angles in life. That you're 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 right. That 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 would make a, a that's perfect. See, Dave, Dave, Dave is the book author whisperer, probably. That's right. That's right. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I appreciate the time you all spent today. Um, great insight. Um, I'll have a link to the book up on the in the show notes on the web page so, so anybody can find it there. Again, it's on Amazon. It's called Whistle in a Haystack. Um, it's by Rick Hartzell and David Simon. Um, gentlemen, thank you again for, for joining today. Thank you, Don. We really appreciate it. Appreciate it very much. Yeah, this is awesome. Appreciate the opportunity. It's wonderful here. Sure, sure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Friday Night Stripes. Show notes and links to all of the episodes can be found on our website at FridayNightStripes.com. Reviews on Google Podcasts or Apple iTunes are always appreciated as they will help us reach more officials. We are always looking to talk to officials everywhere, so if you want to be a guest, please email hello at FridayNightStripes.com. If you have comments, ideas, or want to correct a mistake we made, you can email us at hello at FridayNightStripes.com. You can also continue the conversation by joining the Facebook group, Friday Night Stripes, or following us on Twitter at Friday Night Stripes. Show music is Fight 'Em Down by Flash Fluority, licensed by PremiumBeat.com. We'll see you on the next episode.